Welcome to week three in the series that we're doing in the Old Testament book of Jonah. And so let me just say that if you are uh, just joining us in this series, thanks so much for being here if you're a guest with us. And I'd encourage you that if you want to catch up on the past couple of weeks, uh, I would really encourage you to do that. You can do that absolutely for free. Um, if you go to our website, you can either watch or listen to any of the previous sermons. Uh, we are also available on iTunes or you can check out our app. And so there's some information on that in your program. If you want to check that out, you can. Uh, but let me just say, if you're, if you're unfamiliar with the book of Jonah, or even if you're a person who's maybe kind of skeptical about the book of Jonah, because maybe the only thing you know about the book of Jonah is that it's a story about a guy who was swallowed by a fish, um, I would really, really encourage you to go back and check out the last couple of weeks. Uh, we did a lot of preliminary background work on the book of Jonah. So we talked about who wrote it, when it was written, why it was written, the literary genre that it was written in. Uh, we talked about the fish. We dealt with some of the misconceptions um, that sometimes surround the book of Jonah. And so if you missed that, I would really encourage you to go back and check that out. Um, I will also say, you could probably hear in my voice this morning, uh, if you've got to bear with me just a little bit, uh, I got real, real sick this week. I spent, uh, spent a good part of the week in bed fighting some kind of sinus infection thing. And so uh, just if you don't mind bearing with my voice, I'd appreciate that. Um, on that note, I think, this is, I think this is kind of funny. I don't know if you will, but um, this week I was super, super sick, went to the doctor, got some high-powered antibiotics and got some high-powered nasal decongestants, and, uh, and so things weren't getting better. Started on Tuesday, and it, things kept getting worse, and so Friday hit, and I was like, I'm not going to make it to the weekend, man. I'm not going to make it, and so I called up Pastor Seth. You guys know Seth. He was the one just leading here a moment ago. Awesome. Love this guy, and I call him up, and I say, man, Seth, I said, dude, I don't know if I want to make it uh, to preach this weekend. I think you might have to get ready, man. You got to be on deck. And of course, Seth, such a tremendous and willing guy, he's like, yeah, man, just send me your notes. I got your back. And, uh, and we got it covered. Just awesome. And so then on Friday night, I started feeling better. So I texted Seth and the guys, let everyone know. I was like, hey, I think I'm good. I think I'm good to go for this weekend. And they're like, that's good to hear. And so then last night, I thought this was funny. Uh, about 1030 at night, I texted Seth last night. And I said, hey, Seth, I'm sick again. You're going to have to preach for me. And uh, <laughs> And then like 10 seconds, you know how like when you text someone, you get the dot, dot, dot of them responding that like lasted for like 15 seconds. And finally I was like, I, I got a text. So I was like, I'm just kidding around. And, um, I won't tell you what he texted me back. It's not, not appropriate for this setting, but, uh, but please just bear with my voice. If that's, that's cool. But today what we're doing is we're continuing in this series and we're going to be looking at Jonah chapter two. And so if you've got your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and get those out and let's go ahead and turn to Jonah chapter two. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, that shouldn't be a problem uh, at all. We actually have some Bibles that are in the chairs in front of you, and so you can grab one of those Bibles if you want to. It might be under the, uh, underneath your seat. <clears throat> so you might want to grab that and turn to page uh, two, uh, 645 in those Bibles. And let me also say that if you're a guest and you don't own a Bible, um, we really want you to have a Bible, and so go ahead and take that and write your name in it. Um, happy Leap Year. That's a gift from us to you. You can have that. Bible. So Jonah chapter two, you can go ahead and flip there. Now, as you're flipping to Jonah chapter two, <clears throat> let me ask you a question to kind of start off our conversation today. And of course, this is a rhetorical question, so I'm not actually asking you to respond. And this question for some of you is going to make a lot of sense. And for some of you, quite honestly, it's not going to make any sense at all. Now, that's okay. But here's the question. Can you think of a time or has there ever been a time in your life when you would say that you were fully surrendered to God? Has there ever been a time in your life, maybe that's now, or maybe you think about where you would say, I was fully surrendered to God? Now, like I said, for some of you, that question doesn't even make sense. 
Because for some of you, you're like, I don't even know if I believe in a God. And so I don't even know how to surrender to a God that I don't believe in. If that's the case, that's cool. But for those of us who follow Jesus, I think this question makes sense. Has there been a time when you felt that you've been fully surrendered to God? And I know for me, when I ask myself that question, I have a lot of different responses. I think, am I ever fully surrendered to God? And I don't, you know, it seems like it comes and goes and there's different seasons. But I will say that when I think about that, there's one experience that I had that sticks out in my mind. And it's when I was a sophomore in college. Some of you guys know I went to Bible school, uh, got trained in the Bible there and and, uh, in ministry and all those things. And when I was a sophomore in college, there was about a seven-month period of time, might have been even longer than that, um, where I guess for lack of a better term, I'd just say I was deliberately running from God. Seven-month stretch of time, deliberately running. And when I say I was deliberately running from God, I don't mean physically, right? Because I was was at Bible school, I was going to church, I was involved in churchy things, God stuff. What I mean is, is that there was things in my life, there was areas in my life that I was completely unwilling um, to surrender to God. I was, I was, I, I knew what God wanted for me, and I was not going to do it. And so, I want you to hear me. When I said I was running from God, I don't mean I was struggling with sin. All of us struggle with sin. I wasn't struggling with sin. I mean, I was defiantly looking at God and saying, "I know what you want, and I'm not doing it." So we're not talking about it. Not going there. So what that look like for me? Well, it looked couple ways. One of the ways it looked is I was in a relationship with a girl, had no right being in that relationship. I knew it was wrong for so many different reasons. And yet, for, I guess somehow in my mind, I determined that I knew better than God did and I could define joy on my own terms. And so embrace that relationship. Of course, that led to a lot of really bad decisions, which led to a lot of really, really bad things. I made a lot of decisions. I hurt myself. I hurt other people around me. Um, and many of you guys know, if, you, if, ever been a, if you're a Christ follower and you've been in a season where you've been running from God, that does damage to your relationship with God. So during that time, just like we talked about last week, man, I was spiritually lethargic, you know, just sluggish and distant and cold. Um, I was foolish. I was selfish. made all, these, all the things we talked about last week. And, uh, and so anyway, long story short, the seven-month period of time came to an end one night. And it came, it came to the end uh, during, it was actually an evening service, and it was when a pastor was actually preaching a sermon. And believe it or not, the passage that he was teaching on is the one that we're going to be looking at today, Jonah chapter 2. And so I sat down, and I remember the, 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 we were going through the book of Jonah, and I, already, I remember thinking, oh man, I'm already in for it. Because the book of Jonah is a story about a guy who's running from God, and I'm a guy who's running from God. And, uh, and so we opened up Jonah chapter 2, and I remember that there was one, ver- one verse in Jonah chapter 2 that so arrested my attention, and it so hit me between the eyes. I had never seen this verse before in my life, but I'm telling you, man, God used this verse powerfully in my life. In fact, to this day, since, since that moment, I've memorized this verse. I have preached on this verse. I have preached on this verse several times because of the incredible impact that this one little verse had on my life. I just want to share it with you right now. I'm just going to tell you, this is where I want to go with the message. So if you tune out even everything else I say, and this is the only thing that you get, you're going to get the whole message, all right? And this is, this is what it is. It's Jonah chapter 2, verse 8. Here's the verse. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. That little verse, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be 
theirs. That was the translation that I originally heard that verse in. Uh, some of you have different translations. In fact, if you have one of our Bibles, you might see it says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. That's the same idea. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit. They turn away. They give up on grace that's available to them. They give up on a love that is available to them. And, and listen, I don't, I don't know um, where it was in that sermon. I don't know if it was in the beginning or the middle or the end. I don't even remember what the guy said. But I know somewhere in this span of that 45 minutes or so, somewhere in there, I, I waved the white flag to God. And, and God used that verse and used that, that night to unravel all of the resistances that have been storing up for the past seven months in my heart. And somewhere in the course of that time, I remember I became willing in a way I hadn't been before. And I said, God, I am done running. I'm tired exhausted and I, I miss the closeness and intimacy and I'm forfeiting grace and I waved the white flag and I said I'm done and I got to tell you I'm really really thankful that that night that the auditorium was dimly lit uh, because when it came time for the music to start you know we all kind of stood up on our feet to sing and I, I this is this doesn't really happen to me I'm not this kind of person and so if, if you know me you, you would believe me but, but what, I just got to tell you, when I went to, to stand up, I could not find my feet. And I, I instead fell right on my knees. This never happens to me. And I started, I mean, just weeping. And I'll never forget that auditorium floor because it was linoleum. And I just remember crying. And I was like in a pool of my own sweat and my own tears. And, and once again, you got to understand, I'm not the crying type. Uh, you can ask my wife. We've been married for 10 years and she can count maybe on both hands the amount of times that she's seen me cry. I just don't cry very often. And so you can imagine, for me, this was really embarrassing because, first off, I was the only guy on the floor. Everyone else was standing up. In addition to that, I wasn't just crying. This wasn't like a little tear came down, and I was like, oh, a little tear, you know? It wasn't like that. This was like heaving, you know what I mean? Did you guys ever cry when it's just like, it's embarrassing? There's noises, there's snorting, there's like gasping, there's snot everywhere. You're, I'm inventing places to wipe the snot off, you know what I mean? And I'm just like, I'm surrounded by my peers and I'm on the floor, I'm just a, a heap, I'm a mess on the ground. And I just gotta tell you that that night, as embarrassing as that was and as humiliating as it was, it was one of the most freeing and the most joy-filled experiences I ever had. And, and that, that night, perpetuated a series of decisions that would be difficult that had to happen after that but it, it was all a movement to go back to God and like I said it was humiliating and it was something that was embarrassing but it was so freeing and it was so joyful and here's why it was so joyful because I found what Jonah found in Jonah chapter 2 and what I am desperately praying that some of you are going to find today and that's this those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Listen, I've, I've said from the beginning of the series that the entire book of Jonah is all about God's grace. That's what the book of Jonah is about, all four chapters. It is just an incredible exposition and explanation of the grace of God. And what we see in the book of Jonah is that God's grace is so elaborate God's grace is so lavish. God's grace is so incredible. But here's the other thing that we find too in the book of Jonah. God's grace is so unexpected. 
And God's grace is so sometimes unorthodox. And God's grace is, is sometimes so unlikely, comes in unlikely forms. And we see this all throughout the book of Jonah. And so what I want to do with the rest of the time that we have today is I just want to walk us through Jonah chapter 2 and a little bit of the surrounding chapters. And I want to walk us through three forms of unlikely grace. Okay? And we're going to see them right in the book of Jonah. Three forms of unexpected and unlikely grace. Let me tell you what they are. And then I'm just going to, we're going to walk through each one of them. Here they are. Three forms of unlikely grace we're going to see in Jonah. The first one is going to be violent storms, messy fish, right? And then second words. Those three things we're going to look at, right? Violent storms, messy fish, and second words. All right, so let's just start right at the top. Violent storms. God's grace comes in unlikely forms. And one of the unlikely ways that God's grace comes to us is in violent storms, now, where am I getting this from? Well, in order for us to see this, we actually have to backtrack and go back to chapter 1 for a second. And I want you to go back to chapter 1, just glance with me at verse 4, if you will. Now, if you were here last week, this is a little bit of recap. Verses 1 to 3 in the book of Jonah establish for us that the book of Jonah is fundamentally about a man who runs from God. So in Jonah verses 1 to 3 of chapter 1, God comes to Jonah, says, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach there. And Jonah, rather than doing that, gets up, does a 180-degree turn, and goes to Tarshish, away from God's presence. But the Bible tells us that in verse 4, that God, rather than leaving Jonah alone, and God, rather than executing Jonah and killing him, and God, uh, rather than picking someone else to go and do Jonah's job, God instead comes after Jonah. He pursues Jonah. And the way in which he pursues Jonah, the Bible tells us, is through a violent storm. So, Take a look at verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. One of the ways God's grace shows up is through violent storms. I want you to notice real quick in this verse, notice who sent the storm. Notice who's behind the storm. Now, the storm is because of Jonah, but the storm is sent by God. God is the one responsible for sending this storm on Jonah's life. Last week, if you're with us, one of the things we said was that every act of disobedience, every time we, we turn from what God desires for us and do our own thing, anytime we do that, we said every act of disobedience has a storm attached to it. There's a storm cloud attached to every act of disobedience. And, and, and some of you are like, well, what kind of storm? And we talked about this last week. We said, well, all kinds of storms. Relational storms, storms in your marriage, financial storms. For some of you, legal storms, emotional storms internal storms, all kinds of storms happen. When we, when we choose to walk away from God, there, there is a trajectory to that pathway of life, and there's a storm that is attached to that. And we talked about that last week. And in fact, we even said for some of us, even here that are here this morning, for some of us, maybe right now you are facing a storm that is a direct result of your running from God. Maybe there's a storm that you're facing right now in your dating life, in your, in your marriage, in your, I don't know where it is, but a storm that you're facing right now is a direct result because of decisions you have made to run away from what God has for you, right? And we said that, man, that's what Jonah teaches us. Every act of disobedience has a storm attached to it. But here's what I want you to know, because here's the problem with that statement. The problem with that statement is when I say every act of disobedience has a storm attached to us, attached to it, some of us misinterpret that. You see, we look at Jonah and we say, oh, look, Jonah disobeyed. So what did God do? Oh, yeah, God sent a hurricane. And we look at that and we think to ourselves, see, if that's what God's like, I don't want anything to do with him anyway. 
See, see, God's just honked off again because Jonah isn't listening to him. And so he's like, oh, no one disobeys me, so I'm going to send a hurricane after you. A, you know, drop kick you with a hurricane, man. And, and, and we look at that and we think, we think the storms that God sends in our life must be motivated by vengeance and wrath and judgment. That's the only logical explanation. Jonah didn't listen to God, so God's going to kill him with a storm, show him. For some of us, listen, this is the way we interpret the storms in our life. For some of us, we're perpetually interpreting the storms in our life as if God is trying to get us. Like, man, God is just, he's so disappointed with me. And every storm that I'm facing is just, man, I, I, got, I, I let God down and I disobeyed him. And so now he is just upset with me. And so there is a storm cloud that's going to crash down in my life. And it's motivated by God's vengeance and God's anger and God's wrath. And some of us, we live this way. We live this way. And so anytime something happens and something goes wrong, in your mind, you think to yourself, I must have done something wrong. God must be wanting to pay me back for what I did. And so your minivan breaks down, right? And you're like, oh, yep, see, there it is again. God's upset with me. He's upset because I flipped off that other motorist the other day when they cut me off. I know I shouldn't have done that, God. I'm sorry. Can you make my minivan work again, right? And, and we, you know, we, the kids get sick. And we're like, it must be because I lied to my boss about, you know, my girlfriend broke up with me. I must be doing something wrong, God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm disappointing you. I'm frustrating you. And you're so frustrated with me. And, and I'm constantly living under the cosmic frown of heaven. And you're so disappointed. And you, you're coming after me because you want to pay me back for the bad things that I've done. A lot of us think this way. And we live under the tyranny of this line of thinking. And I got to tell you, I think Jonah thought that. And I, I, th- I, I am firmly convinced when you read the book of Jonah that Jonah believed that the reason that God sent this storm was to kill Jonah. Let me show you what I'm talking about. If you glance down at verse 11, just look at Jonah's response to this question. So verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so the storm's getting crazier and crazier in Jonah's life. And so they asked Jonah, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Look at Jonah's response. Pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, did you notice Jonah's response? These sailors are like, look, we know that this is your fault, Jonah. We know that every act of disobedience has a storm attached to it, Jonah. So what do we need to do to make the storm stop? You see what Jonah's answer is? He says, throw me in the ocean. Pick me up and throw me in in the sea. Now, think about this for a minute. They're in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, hundreds of miles from land, right? There's a raging storm that's happening. Jonah, Jonah is, is under the assumption that the only thing that's going to make this storm satisfied is his death. Right? Jo- if Jonah had even a hint of belief that God wanted to bring him back to Nineveh and give him a second chance, I don't think he would have said, throw me in the sea. I think he would have said, turn the boat around, right? That seems way more logical. Jonah, what can we do to make the storm stop? Oh, just turn the boat around. God wants me to go back to Nineveh. But that's not what Jonah thought. Jonah thought, no, the reason God's sending this storm is because he wants to pay me back. He wants to kill me. So throw me in. Let's end it all. But here's the crazy thing. Jonah didn't know, and he's about to find out, and some of you don't know, and you need to find out, that God sends storms into our life not because he wants to pay us back, but because he wants to win us back. The storms that God oftentimes sends in our life are not in spite of his grace. They are because of his grace. It is his grace behind the storm. 
God's grace shows up in some unorthodox forms. It is not safe and it is not cozy. God's grace is wild. And sometimes it comes in the form of a violent storm that crashes in on our lives. And it's not in spite of his grace, but it's because of his grace. And he's not coming to pay us back. He's coming to win us back. I know for some of you that sounds absolutely paradoxical. But I want you just to think about that for a minute. Just think about this, all right? If God is truly the author of life, if life flows from God and the meaning of life comes from God, then that means by necessity that when we choose to run from God, we are running from the source of flourishing in this life. We are running from the source of joy. We are running from our source of strength. We are running from our own lives when we run from God. And if that was the case, if God truly was a loving father who really did care for his children, which I believe he is, that means that the most loving thing that God could do when we run from him is make it extremely uncomfortable for us to do so. See, God sends storms not, because of it, not in spite of his grace, but because of his grace. And we see that in the book of Jonah. Some of you guys might have heard the story um, before of the two lumberjacks. Did you ever hear this one? Two lumberjacks are clearing out some uh, woods, a whole section of woods. And as they're chopping down one of the trees, uh, they see that up in the canopy of the tree, there's a bird that's building a nest. And so they see that, and they stop chopping, and they turn their axes around, and they start hitting the bottom of the tree with the blunt end of the axe, just kind of banging the tree, vibrating the tree, until eventually the bird gets up moves to a different tree and starts building a nest. But of course, the lumberjacks follow the bird to the next tree, start banging on the bottom of that tree with the blunt end of the axe, shaking the tree until the bird moves to another tree. And the lumberjacks just follow the bird, tree to tree to tree, banging the bottom of the tree until eventually the bird builds its nest in a rock. Now, what's the moral of this story? And the lumberjacks leave her alone. Now, what's the moral of this story? Here's the moral of the story. Sometimes grace comes in unexpected forms. How could those lumberjacks do something so ungracious to that sweet little bird? Uh, they, They weren't doing that in spite of their grace. They were doing it precisely because of their grace. Because sometimes the best thing that God can do is shake our tree. And show us that we are building our nest in a place that is not safe. In a place that is not secure. And so God's grace shows up in many forms. And one of the forms of God's grace is in violent storms. It's an unexpected, unlikely, and sometimes an unorthodox way of viewing God's grace, but God loves us so much and he cares about us so much that he can't stand to watch us run in our disobedience, and so he sends storms after us, not in spite of his grace, but because of it, not to pay us back, but to win us back. Listen, some of you are convinced that God wants to pay you back for the bad things that you've done, for the sinful things that you've done. Man, would you just hear me? I am positive That is not the case. I am 100% certain that God does not want to pay you back for the sins that you've committed against him. And you know how I can be so positive? You know how I'm so certain? Because the Bible tells us that our sins have already been paid for. God's not trying to pay us back for the wrong things that we've done because our sins have already been atoned for. That's what Jesus came for. The Bible says that the wrath of God, the anger of God, was all released on the person of Jesus Christ. And so sin is not the issue anymore. Wrath is not the issue. Payback is not the issue. And now it's all grace. All grace. He's not trying to pay you back. He's trying to win you back. God's grace shows up in a lot of unlikely forms. The first way we see it in Jonah is in this storm. But thank God that's not the only way God's grace shows up. Because it shows up in other ways too. But also equally as unlikely. Here's the second one. And uh, 
This one, of course, is what the story is most famous for. Second form of God's grace that we see here. God's grace shows up in messy fish. Messy fish. All right, let's just take a look. Glance down at verse 17 with me. Look at this. So the sailors throw Jonah overboard into the raging sea. Verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. All right, let me just pause there for a minute. I want you to see, notice that one word at the beginning. Now, now the Lord. Some of your translations, it says, but the Lord. I just got to tell you, I love that. I love that because, you know, it's, the book of Jonah could easily have ended in verse 16. This could have been a one-chapter book. And the point would have been this. Don't run from God or God will send a hurricane and kill you. The end. Right? That could have been the book of Jonah. But that's not the point of the book of Jonah. It's about God's grace. And so the Bible says, now the Lord, but the Lord. And as he shows up again, and look at this. It says, now the Lord provided a huge fish. You notice a theme here. God provides the fish. God sends the wind. It's almost like God is sovereignly in control of all things, working them together for his purposes. This is the picture that you have of what God is doing behind the scenes, right? God sends a fish. And the Bible says that Jonah is in the belly of this fish for three days and for three nights. Now, this is where I think for some of us, our familiarity with this story can be a barricade. Because you see, for all of us, we expected this. For many of us, this is the only thing we knew about the book of Jonah, was that this guy gets swallowed by a fish. That's all we knew, right? But you have to remember, back in ancient times, when people would have been first reading this story, they would have had no idea that that was about to happen. And that would have been so unexpected. That would have been so, such a twist for them to see. No one expected that a giant fish was going to swallow Jonah, right? But once again, this is God's grace that comes in unexpected forms. And one of the forms that comes is in a messy fish. Jonah's in the belly of this fish for three nights and for three days. That had to have been some of the most terrible surroundings imagined. Would you imagine being in that situation? Stinky, slimy, probably oppressively hot, yet gastric asses around you, right? There's squid probably everywhere. You know, SpongeBob SquarePants is with Patrick doing stuff. I don't know. You can tell I have little boys. And, uh, you know, this is a terrible, terrible, messy, 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 messy situation. But listen, here's the situation. Sometimes God's grace shows up to us in really messy situations. Look, here's what you need to know, all right? Whenever you choose to run from God and you start to distance yourself from him and you make a decision to say, I surrender and I'm coming back, oftentimes that decision is not going to immediately make your life better. Oftentimes that decision is going to make your life immediately more messy. In fact, for some of you right now, my guess is that there's areas of your life that you're running from God and and you would like to, you want to be obedient to God. You want to surrender them, but you're terrified because of the mess that that's going to introduce into your life. And some of you, you're like, man, if I... I've been running from God and there's this thing I've been doing. There's this habit that I've been engaged in. There's this relationship that I've had. And and listen, I've been doing this for so long now and I want to be obedient to God. I don't want to do this anymore, but I am terrified because if I start turning back to God, this is going to be messy, man. This is going to make my marriage messy. This is going to make my social life messy. This is going to make my work life messy. I might lose my job if I obey God and I do that, right? It's going to be messy if I do that. Listen to me, though. We need to take a note from Jonah, right? 
Because notice what Jonah is doing. Jonah is in the most terrible, messy, nasty, stanky, I don't even know if it's a word, situation. But yet, what is he doing? Check out chapter 2, verse 1. What is Jonah doing in the fish, in the messy fish? Verse 1, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. One of the most beautiful pictures in the whole Bible. Jonah is in the belly of this fish, and what is he doing? He is praying to the Lord his God. And what is his prayer? We're going to look at it in just a second, but I want you just to glance down for a second at the prayer of Jonah. And you'll notice, even in your Bible, it takes a different literary form. And the reason that's the case is because the prayer of Jonah is represented to us in a beautiful Hebrew poem. And what does that beautiful Hebrew poem talk about? I'll tell you what it talks about. It talks about the faithfulness of God how amazing God is, how faithful God is, how good God is, how foolish Jonah has been. What is this? This is Jonah worshiping God, crying out with joy and with gratitude. And where is he? In the messiest, stinkiest situation. And yet he's praying to God, crying out with joy, worshiping God. This is the first time in the book of Jonah that Jonah prays or Jonah worships. And it happens from the belly of a stinky fish. Just a chapter earlier than this, Jonah was extremely comfortable, right? Jonah was sleeping in the hull of the ship, comfortable in his disobedience. You see what Jonah teaches us? Here's what he shows us. He shows us that messy obedience is better than comfortable disobedience. Let me say that again because that's really important. Messy obedience is far better than comfortable disobedience. And like I said, man, for some of you, you are terrified that if you obey God, that that's going to introduce messes in your life. And so you opt for comfortable obedience. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing, and I'm just going to pretend that everything's okay, and it's gonna, everything's going to be all right. I'm just going to keep ignoring God because I'm so afraid of that. Me- Listen, messy obedience is so much better than comfortable disobedience. Comfortable disobedience is a slow spiritual death. Messy obedience is messy. Oh, but it's so joyful. This is what Jonah found in the belly of the fish. This is what I found on that linoleum floor in that auditorium in a pool of my own tears and my own sweat. I found the same thing. This is messy. But I'll take this over comfortable obedience any day. So there's grace in this. The grace of God shows up in unlikely, unorthodox forms. A storm, a fish, and you check this out. This is crazy. Watch Jonah's prayer. Let's just start in verse 2. Jonah said, this is such a beautiful prayer. Jonah in the belly of the fish. I just love that Jonah in the belly of fish decides he's going he's to compose an ancient Hebrew poem, which I know is exactly what you would do if you were in the belly of a fish. Look at this, though. In my distress, I called to the Lord. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Man, is that good. I called to God and he heard me. I called out to him in my rebellion. I called out to him when I had had run from him. He heard me. He answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. It's like, I can't get away from you. You're everywhere, God. You hurled me into the depths of the sea, into the very heart of the sea, the, cur- the currents swirled about me and your waves and breakers swept over me. I want you just to notice real quick there in verse 3. Notice who Jonah attributes, to the, attributes, uh, um, uh, attributes the storm credit to, right? It's to God. You're the one who sent the, the, the winds. You're the one who threw me overboard. 
See, Jonah recognizes that that storm was God's grace. He recognizes it. Verse, uh, verse uh, 4, I said, I've been vanished from your sight, and yet I'll look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. It's kind of graphic. The roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. I just pause there for a second. I want you to notice one little word in there, very, very important word in the book of Jonah, up. He says, you brought my life up from the pit. Now, that's so important. If you were here last week, we said that the way the book of Jonah is laid out uh, from a literary standpoint is that um, from the moment that Jonah disobeys God, every move that he makes away from God, the Bible explains, is a downward descending uh, kind of spiral, right? And so the Bible says Jonah disobeys God. It says he goes down to Joppa. He went down to a port. He went down into the hull of the ship. Down, 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 down. Every time Jonah resisted God more, he went down. Last week we said every step we take away from God is a step down. But now, for the first time, Jonah turns to God. He cries out to God. You know what the Bible says? For the first time, things start going up. And now the rest of the book of Jonah, things are going to move in an upward trajectory, up to Nineveh, up, up. Everything's going to start going up from this point forward. And check this out, verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to your holy temple. And then, and then verse 8. Oh, verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And see, here's Jonah's conclusion. He's in the belly of a fish. He's experienced the violent storm, and he's experienced the messy fish. And here's the conclusion that Jonah comes to. He says, my conclusion is that those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. That those who cling to worthless idols turn away from the love that God has for them. This is the conclusion that Jonah comes to. Those who cling to worthless idols, some of you are like, what is that? What is clinging to a worthless idol? Well, some of you guys know in the Bible, when the Bible talks about idols, what it's referring to is anything that takes the place of God in our lives. That's an idol, right? Just plainly speaking. And that can be anything. Whatever functions in your life as God, whatever you're willing to disobey God to obtain, that's an idol, right? And it can be anything. It can be your money, it can be success, it can be beauty, it can be sex, it can be anything, relationships, anything. And Jonah says, when we cling to worthless idols, when we cling to these things, it's not just that we're being satisfied with something that's far less worth our affection. He says we're forfeiting. You're forfeiting something that's available to you. You're forfeiting grace that could be yours. You're turning from love that God has for you. It's not just that you're clinging to something stupid, but it's that you're turning your back to something awesome. That's the conclusion that Jonah comes to in this book. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And apparently, that must be the ticket because after that, Jonah's done in the fish. And that's where we see the third form of God's unexpected grace, and that's this. God's grace comes to us in second words. In second words. I want you to check out this next part. I love, I love this. Verse 10, 
And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. All right, quick side note real, real fast. That's got to be one of my favorite commandments in the entire Bible, right? <laughs> fish vomit. Right. I, don't, I don't know how that looked. I wish I could have been there for that moment. I imagine God was like, <clears throat> hey, fish, you know? And I imagine the fish was like, blub, 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 you know? <laughs> I don't know if that's accurate, about accurate, but anyway, you know, then, then God's like, you know, uppeth chucketh, or whatever, I don't know. <laughs> and the fish is like, you know, and then Jonah comes out. I love, I just love that, you know. God commanded the fish to vomit, it's wonderful. But then check out verse, check out verse one in chapter three, this is so good. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Man, how good is that? How good is that? God sent a storm. God sent a fish. And all of that happened so that Jonah could stand up again and God could look at him and say, you ready to go? Here's a fresh opportunity. Here's a second chance for you. And the word of the Lord came to him a second time. See, God didn't give up on him. God wasn't finished with him. God had stuff in store for him. And he was like, now, now that you have forsaken that worthless idol, come and see the grace that's available for you. I am not done with you. See, and listen, some of you need to hear that because some of you in this room right now are convinced and somewhere along the line you've come to this conclusion that because you've run from God and because you've made bad decisions and because things have happened in your life in the past, that means that you are a second-class citizen in God's kingdom and God cannot use you fully because you are damaged goods. Some of you have come to that conclusion. Listen, Jonah tells us, man, that is not true. That is not accurate for a second. Listen, some of you today believe, you, you genuinely believe that, that God is out to get you, that God is out to pay you back for the bad things that you've done. You believe that. You believe that the storms that you're facing in your life are motivated by God's vengeance and his wrath and his anger. Some of you believe that this morning. Some of you, some of you have convinced yourself that comfortable obedience is a better option than messy obedience. Comfortable disobedience is a better option than messy obedience. And you, you, you think to yourself, no, it's better if I just remain in the place that I am and, and I just stay comfortable in my disobedience because it's really messy if I obey God. And you've convinced yourself that that's the best thing that you can do. And some of you have convinced yourself that God can't use you because of the decisions that you've made in your marriage or in your life or in your dating or whatever, those decisions that you made, you're just like, God can't use me. And listen, can I just tell you something? Man, you're wrong. You're wrong. On all accounts, you're wrong. God is not, he doesn't want to pay you back. He wants to win you back. God's grace is coming after you not to come and kill you, but to come and save you. Some of you, man, you're like, man, I want my comfortable disobedience. Man, that's wrong. It's wrong. Messy, messy obedience is way better. Comfortable disobedience is a slow spiritual death. And some of you are like, God can't use me. God can't use, he can use you, he can use that guy, he can use, he can't use me. I'm damaged goods. Man, you are so unbelievably wrong. That is not true. Listen, if you believe that God couldn't use messed up people and use them for his glory 
and use them for his purposes, if you don't believe that, then man, we wouldn't have a Bible. I don't know if you guys ever read through the Bible before, but do you know how many times the story shows up of a person who is royally screwed up? I mean, royally screwed up. And is conquered by the grace of God and, the, and then becomes a conduit of the grace of God in other people's life. You guys know how many times that story happens in the Bible? Only every time, right? Except for once with Jesus. Every time, that's the story. God uses incredibly flawed, incredibly messed up people, just like us, right? He conquers them with this overwhelming, unexpected grace. Oh my gosh, this grace. And we become conquered by his grace, and then it starts to flow through us, and we become conduits of God's grace. And this is the story of Paul, and this is the story of David, and this is the story of all of the apostles, and this is the story of everyone in the Bible, these guys who have terrible backgrounds, terrible pasts with things that they've done. And then they look at those terrible pasts and they start to boast about them. Not because they're proud of the bad things that they've done, but because they're so proud of the grace of God and impressed at what it's done in their lives. And let me just say, that is a story that God has written all throughout the Bible with men and women. It is a story that he has written through thousands of years through the church of Jesus Christ, through many men and women. That is the story he wants to write through your life. That is a story he wants to write in your life. If you would stop clinging, there is grace available to you. There is love available to you. When we run from God, we run from grace. When we run to God, we find unexpected grace. Grace that you didn't know was going to be there. Grace that's sometimes messy and sometimes violent. Grace that's, that, that, that is sometimes unorthodox. But in the end, my goodness, the word of the Lord came a second time. The word of the Lord comes a third time. The word of the Lord comes a fifth time. That's what grace is all about. Chances that God gives us because of his incredible love for us. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. All right, so what in the world do you do with a message like that? And... um, I just have one challenge for us, and then, and then that, that's it. Just one challenge. If you were with us last week, um, I challenged everyone who was here. I said, I just want you to simply, I, all I'm challenging you to do is identify how are you running from God. That was all I asked last week. And it's awesome. Many of you did that. Many of you did. Identify ways that you're running from God. And some of you found that there's certain areas of your life where you're, uh, you're unwilling to let God work in that area. And for some of you, it's relationship or it's a, it's a, I don't know, it's a habit, a secret that you haven't been telling other people about. It's, there's something. For some of you, it's your sexuality. For some of you, it's a matter of forgiveness. There's someone that you're unwilling to forgive, a family member, a friend. There's a million different things. For some of you, honestly, it was your, some, some of you, when, when I said, you know, identify how are you running, some of you said it's Christianity. You said, man, I, I am terrified to embrace Christ. Because I know if I do that, that's going to change my life. I don't know if I'm ready for that. Right? And you're running from God. And so many of you did that. You identified, this is how I'm running from God. This is how I'm running. That's awesome. And that's all we asked you to do last week. But this week, listen, I want to ask you to do something a little bit, a little bit bolder than that. All right? I want to take it a step further. And here's what I want to challenge everyone in the room to do. I want to challenge you to do this. In, in your program, when you walked in, you guys had a little tiny post-it note. It looks like this. I want you to grab that real quick. A little post-it note, a little blue post-it note, all right? And do me a favor and just snag that. If you didn't get one of those, any little piece of paper will do. It's fine. 
Okay, I'm going to challenge you. Grab a pen. There's some pens in the seats, I think. And for some, for some of you, you know how you're running. You know exactly how you're running from God. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab the pen, and I want you to write that down on that piece of paper. You write it down, all right? One word. For, for some of you, you might be embarrassed to write it down because you're afraid other people are going to see it. And if that's the case, that's fine. No one else is going to see it. You can write a code word if you want to. Write Steve, I don't know, you know, <laughs> banana. Write something on there. And, and, but, but listen, no one else is going to see this, not unless you want them to. Right, write it on there. And here's what I want you to do. You got that thing? You got it? You got that written on there? I want you to take it. I want you to crumple it up, and I want you to cling on to that thing as hard as you possibly can. All right, I want you to clench your fist with all of your might. I want you to hold that in there. And I want to, listen, I want to ask you, would you be willing to read this verse out loud with me? Read this verse out loud with me, Jonah 2.8. Let's read this together. I'll put it up on the PowerPoint. All right, you guys ready? Let's read this out loud together. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Let's do it one more time. You ready? Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit this is the picture I want you to get in your mind because this is the picture that Jonah wants us to have. That thing that you're clinging to, that thing that you're willing to disobey God to possess, that thing, what it is doing is it is causing you to turn your back to grace that's available to you. There is love and there is grace that God has for you. There's opportunities that God wants for you. And when you cling to this thing, you are clinging to a worthless idol and you are forfeiting the grace that could be yours. All right? This is the picture I want you to have in your mind. This thing is costing you. It's costing you dearly. And what I, I don't mean it's costing you because God wants to come and get you and kill you. I mean it's costing you because there's a bunch of grace that God wants for you that he can't give you because you're clinging to this stupid thing. There's this awesome grace that God has in store for you. This is the picture that I want you to get in your mind, all right? Now, for some of you, today, I want to challenge you this way. I want to give you an opportunity today, in this, before you leave, I want to give you an opportunity to make a decision to wave the white flag. I want to give you an opportunity to make a decision to say, I am done running. I am done. And I, I am willing to do whatever it takes to make things right. I am done. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that today. I want to give you a chance to do that. I am finished running. I am waving the white flag. I am willing to do whatever it takes. I know it might be messy. I know it might introduce trials into my life. I know that it's not going to get great right away. But man, I am done forfeiting grace that's available to me. I, for, I am done with this. So what I'm going to do is in a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And by the way, I just want to let you know that if you're thinking to yourself, do they do this every week? We don't, okay? This is the first time we've ever done anything like this. So if you're a guest here and you're like, this place is weird, we don't ever do this, all right? But, but I, I, I need to give you an opportunity. And the reason is because I don't want conviction to not lead to action. I don't want you to feel the Holy Spirit working in your heart. 
I don't want you to feel the Holy Spirit working in your soul right now and then give you an excuse to get in your car in between here and the drive home. Convince yourself that everything's okay, and it's not. It's not. I don't want to see you forfeit grace that's available to you, and I want to give you an opportunity to say, I am done, and I wave the white flag. So I'm going to pray for all of us in just a second, and then after I'm done praying for all of us, I'm going to ask you to do something bold, and I'm going to ask you to take, if you want to wave that white flag, I want to ask you to take your fist with that idol, with that thing, and I want you to raise it to God, and I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you, that God would give you courage, that God would give you strength, that God would help you make this decision in your life, all right? So that's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you that opportunity here right now. So let's all pray together. If you would all just bow your heads with me, let's close our eyes, and I'll pray for all of us, and then I'll give you an opportunity to respond. Jesus, I'm so thankful for your grace. It is immeasurable. It is extravagant. It is unlikely. It is unorthodox. It is wild. It's unpredictable. God, without it, we're lost. Without it, we're doomed. But God, with it, man, with your grace, with your love, if you're for us, what could possibly stand against us? So, Father, right now, I just want to pray that for the men and women and children who are in this room right now, God, that you would help us to stop clinging to worthless idols and to stop forfeiting grace that you have available to us. Lord, our, our, our running is costing. It costs us. And what it costs us the most is it costs us your grace and it costs us your love and it costs us the opportunities that you have for us. And we don't want that anymore. And so, Father, I pray you give courage and I pray you give strength for us to be able to make decisions that we need to make. Give us boldness, God. That's what I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you just keep your heads bowed for a minute. For some of you, I'm going to give you that, give you an opportunity. Before I ask you to do that, let me just speak to anyone who's willing and thinking about raising their hand in here, just raising that thing up in just a second. Let me just talk to you. Listen, I know for some of you, waving the white flag right now is going to introduce some messy situations in your life. And you're scared of that. Listen, messy obedience is far better than comfortable disobedience. Today is your day to jump out of the boat into the unknown waters of obedience to find the unexpected grace that lies beneath the waves. For some of you right now, you are in a storm. You are sinking. Listen, you just cry out to God. You cry out to him and he will hear you. He is faithful. Some of you right now, you want to make that decision. You're ready to make that decision, but honestly, you're you're scared because you're afraid that there's people around you right now and you don't want them to see you. Listen, if that's the case, you know, maybe you came with your parents or you came with your kids or maybe you came with your girlfriend or your boyfriend and you're embarrassed to do that I said would you, would you just not worry about that don't, don't let that don't let that stop you from embracing the grace that could be yours right and so if you want to if you want to put that stake in the ground and you want to make that decision you want to wave the white flag i want to encourage you right now put your fist up in the air you raise that thing up to god right 
now. It's awesome, man. It takes boldness. That takes courage. It takes boldness and that takes courage. But listen, man, this is your decision right now to say, I am done running from grace. I am done forfeiting the best that God has for me to cling to something that's worthless. This is your decision. And I want to pray for you right now because I know for some of you, this is going to initiate some serious decisions in your life that are messy and are hard. And I pray that God would give you the strength and he would give you the power and the grace to get through it. You'll find grace in the messy fish, I promise. Let me pray for you. God, I want to pray for the men and women and children right now who have their fists raised to you. God, that takes boldness. That takes guts. Father, it is our declaration to you right now that we are done. We are done running. We are done clinging to worthless idols. I'm not going to forfeit your grace. I don't want to forfeit your best for me anymore. And so, God, if this is the thing that's going to come between us, it's got to go. But for many people right now in this room, this is a decision that takes faith and it takes boldness and it's going to create messes. And so I pray you give them confidence. I pray that you give them boldness. I pray that you give them grace. Give them grace. And for some people, this is going to warrant an awkward conversation. For some people, this is going to be, it's going to, it's going to cost them a relationship. It's going to cost them their social life. It's going to cost them, but Lord, your grace, the grace that's available to us is the most precious thing imaginable. So Father, we cling to it. You put your hands down. And Father, we just want to lift these things up to you in the mighty name, the precious name of Jesus Christ. We ask it in his name, whose grace has been lavished on us, who's paid for our sins. Pray in his name. Amen. Amen. So would you rise to your feet as we're going to sing this song? Would you guys just celebrate with us, the people who have made that decision? Because that takes boldness. Let's just celebrate those people who have done that. That's awesome. And then as it relates to that little piece of paper, um, you could do whatever you want with that. If you want to throw it away, throw it away. If you want to, if you want to stomp on it, you can stomp on it. If you want to show it to somebody that you need to show it to, show it to somebody. If you want to burn it, feel free to burn it. Unless you wrote on that paper pyromaniac tendencies, then don't burn it. But you guys, listen. This this decision of surrendering to Jesus, this act, is not a one-time act, right? We know that. Those of us who follow Jesus know this is a daily thing constantly come back to God. And this is, this is why we need each other. This is why we need biblical community and we need other Christians in our life because it helps us. It helps us to continue to do this process over and over again because we don't want to lose out on the grace that God has for us. Because those who cling to worthless idols forfeit grace that could be theirs. All right, let's sing this song. Love you guys. Thank you for our time.